Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The comics podcast for the Savage Critics website. In part two of our podcast for episode 18, Graham McMillan and I are caught in media res in our discussion of Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. Before things are over, we also cover The Lone Ranger, Battlestar Galactica, Caprica, the challenges of communicating over Twitter, and much, much more. Hope you enjoy, and thanks for listening. That's a feature for um, the Spider-Man musical, which is a musical. Oh, God. That Spider-Man musical. I tell you, that's going to be... It'll be really interesting to see if that... I can't, I can't wait to see the reviews. It's opening Sunday night. It's the first preview. Oh, my God. Oh, uh, my God. And it turns out... It, it, it was never getting back to things that like maybe we should be recording. Hey, you can edit it back in. Spider-Man musical. Um, do you remember the story about... The stuntman who broke both his wrists. Yes. A week after that happened, another actor for the show got in touch with the New York Times and was like, I don't know why it's such a big story. I broke both my feet doing the same stunt earlier this month. Holy fuck. Wow. Yeah, I, I had heard that there had been other people who'd gotten injured by the fucking thing. And I really am. I'm like, okay, it's gonna look great, but that's unbelievably dangerous like seriously that whole production just seems researching the whole thing i mean it was amazing so first of all they've been working on it for nine years um the the option came up before the spider-man movie which i didn't know wow um the first producer died in 2005 Mm -hmm. his accountant essentially took it over ran it so badly he got them 25 million dollars in debt um, they then got a new producer, new producer raised enough money. The budget for the show is apparently somewhere between sixty-five and seventy million dollars. Yeah, yeah. Um, the stunt that is breaking people <laughs> um, is basically catapulting them across the theater, mm-hmm. so oh, that they wow. land in front of the stage. Uh, and what's like what broke the guy's foot or broke the other guy's wrists is mm-hmm. when they land. When they land, right? The force with which they land. Unbelievable. Like, I was hoping those guys would have some sort of, like, why? Oh, my God. That's just crazy. Maybe they do, but they're still getting, they're still breaking something. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so New York uh, Safety, New York State Safety Department um, stepped in. Yeah. The guy in the news broke. And do you know that the guy playing Spider-Man can't play Spider-Man all seven days now? No, what? it's too oh. dangerous. It's too dangerous. He has to take two days off, and an understudy has to play Spider-Man for two days because of the stunts. They're like, no one can stand up to this on a repeated basis. Holy shit! This is the gymnast who's playing the Spider-Man part, right? No, this is the guy playing Peter Parker. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, 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 oh. So, wow! Holy cow! That's really amazing. I had heard that the New York, you know. That there was like a task force or something that was yeah, basically yeah, checking they basically the shut it down again. Mm-hmm. It's been shut down so many times. <laughs> <laughs> it was shut down when they ran out of money and they realized they're twenty five million in debt. Uh, it then got restarted. Like it was shut down for six months at that point. I thought it was just shut down for a few weeks. It was shut down for six months. Jesus. Um, and then it restarted. While in during that six months, they lost their cast essentially. Right. Alan Cumming and uh, Evan Rachel Wood. Evan Rachel Wood, right, exactly. After that, during the six months. Jeez. They then started back up rehearsals in February, which is when they were originally supposed to open. 
Um, it's had like four different opening dates at this point. Wow. Yeah, it just it it, it's, it honestly sounds like cursed. It sounds like mm-hmm. the sur- I mean, the end of my story is you know I'm looking forward to the news on Monday unless it gets postponed again, and I would not be surprised if something happens to make it postponed again. Just because it honestly at this point sounds like an urban myth. It would be wouldn't it be awesome if somebody found like you know Steve Ditko skulking around in a Phantom of the Opera mask or something in the back <laughs> of the theater. <laughs> Steve Ditko crying over the outfits. I mean, did you see the photographs of the outfits? I did see the, I did see the yes. The, the Carnage one in particular is... <laughs> Dude. Actually, did, did you see Chris Sims' thing for Comics Alliance about here's more photographs and he's, it was just like him photoshopping the heads of action figures on people? I did see some of those. I thought that was actually pretty brilliant. Yeah, the J. Jonah Jameson one or yes, whatever was yes. just so funny. Yeah, but um, it 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 everything I read about it and like having heard the, the, a couple of the songs, it all of it just seems like a bad idea. Yeah, there's nothing about it that seems like a good idea. But apparently, one of the reasons it's going ahead is there's just no way. Like uh, one of the new investors, after they, they needed new investors when they found out they're twenty five million in debt, it's the guy who's making props for the show because it's the only way he'll ever see money from it. He was that far in the hole. Jesus. He was like, I'm going to invest in the show because otherwise I'm fucked. Wow. Wow. That is, um, that's what you know, you know, things have gone horribly wrong when that's the case. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. At that, at that point, it ceases being like a Broadway show and becomes essentially a Ponzi scheme with costumes. Exactly. <laughs> um, but I, I honestly, I'm still on the, the moment of, I kind of hope like it never opens and it does become this weird urban myth. Mm-hmm. Do you know yeah. what I mean? For people like, I've heard the songs, I've seen the costumes. <laughs> but I never saw it. Well, exactly. I mean, but it never actually opened. They they had something like, didn't Stephen King's Carrie play like all of one week or something like that before it closed or, you know. Yeah, yeah, this has got to stay open for something ridiculous like four years before it's ever going to see movie. Four years. I mean. It's, no, it's, it's something crazy like that. It's got to stay. It's not just got to stay open. It's got to stay open and sold out. Right. Something like four years. Oh, God. Um, in order for anyone to see any money. Wow, that is just brutal. I mean, and, and that's the thing. Like, as much as I chortle over it, I really am aware. Like, there's a lot of people who have... There's a lot of people who are really, really, really in trouble if this flops. Yeah, exactly. And not in the, well, it's going to be a black eye for Bono on the edge, but in the people are going to lose their livelihoods if this flops. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, Interestingly know. enough, according to everything I was reading up about it, Marvel are not one of these people. Marvel apparently have such a weird option and contract in this mm-hmm. that, like, they are taking... They have no financial risk in it. Wow, really? Yeah. Hmm. That's kind of great. It doesn't necessarily surprise me, considering the way some of this stuff gets licensed, you know? Um, yeah, apparently the license was just raping the Broadway producer who came up with the idea. <laughs> but again, like, I have, I have no idea what he made him think before the Spider-Man movie that a Spider-Man musical would make sense. Like, that's either, that's either visionary or insane. Yeah, I mean, the, this is the problem, is is that I think it was probably a little from option A and a little from option B. Uh, I, I think that uh, the part of the problem is that, um, you know, I, well, I don't know. I mean, depending on when the project launched, I assume it was post-Lion King, you yes. know. 
And yes. even post nine eleven, maybe? Am I wrong on that? Uh, I'm guessing it is. It like the 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 origin of the whole thing seems to be very um, nebulous, and there seems to have already been a, a lot of self mythology around it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's uh, there's definitely a, an oft repeated story about it came about because Bono and Edge were at um, Andrew Lloyd Webber's par- birthday party or some celebration of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Um, and he said, made a comment like, I'm so glad that the rock musicians have left me alone so I can take over the stage. And they were like, ha, 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 we're going to write a Broadway musical. But that doesn't, that doesn't seem to be borne out by the facts. Mm-hmm. Like, maybe that happened, but right. it seems to be that would have happened after someone approached them to do it. Yeah, I think I seem to re- call super super vaguely that they had an idea that they wanted to do something on Broadway but that it was not in any way tied to like Spider-Man or anything you know and of course maybe it's just me but I personally think that Bono and the Edge are horrible choices for this sort of thing like oh god yeah I, I, uh, I, I apologies to everyone you know who likes you too but I I I don't even really rate them as songwriters, and so the idea of them doing a broad, uh, Broadway show, mm-hmm. yeesh. Yeah, well, I mean, even even just the uh, as someone who currently loathes U two, <laughs> but who is willing to admit that he probably I had all the albums up to. I think pop, maybe whatever was after pop might have been the last one. Like, by the time that Beautiful Day single came out, I pretty much realized, like, like oh, God, what is going on? But, you know... It's it's weird. Like, I, I've, I've never really been a fan of YouTube, but I do remember Beautiful Day as being, like, a signifier of, oh, they're not even trying anymore. Yeah, right, which is also kind of that crazy, like, oh, and they're back bigger than ever. But, like, YouTube, as much as I, like, in, in many ways, I just played a lot of their stuff too much they you know they were out they had so many albums produced by brian eno and actually kept going in sort of more and more sort of weirdly stripped down or uh different versions like getting further and further farther and farther depending on how you put it away from their their uh original sound um, but so a, as a, I guess, a former U2 fan turned U2 loather, one of the things that I think makes them kind of a terrible pick is that um, The Edge has always uh, issued traditional pop song structure, kind of. Like even the stuff that they came out of was kind of a very deliberate avoidance of traditional like blues guitar lick type stuff which is why like the whole their rattle and hum movie was such an odd mix for them because you know one half of the band very clearly wanted to go in this let's explore the american roots type stage and the other part of the band specifically the edge is like i will never subscribe to traditional blues chord structure the last thing i want to sound like is you know english musicians playing the blues in other words i don't want to sound like a a, a rolling stone knockoff you know and i i think that that's actually a really kind of great but i also feel that that makes them kind of a terrible pick to come up with like audience crowd pleasing 
you know, the best that you can get is is that people are going to walk in there and go, this is great. It sounds like watered-down U2 songs, you know what I mean? Which yeah, I just I, don't think I, is... Which I kind of understand, but I also think it's one of those moments where I think the audience has shifted to watered-down U2 songs is mainstream rock now. Uh, y- yes. And, and, so I, and so I think it fits within that. I mean, one of the things... One of the problems I had with Beautiful Day, apart from the fact that I just, it's a song that I actively dislike. Yeah, it's um, kind of horrific. Is that it's, it's uber U2. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's, a, it's a self-parody of U2. And that style of songwriting, that style of music has become prevalent and has, has become dominant. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, through, through all manner of knockout bands, and even in, like including something like Radiohead, which I think are an incredibly U2 influenced band. Um, no, I, I really, I, I see all manner of connections between U2 and Radiohead. Um, and I think the U2 has defined, U2 has shifted the audience to them. Right. To the point where, yeah, I think all, this, all the music I've heard from the Spider Man musical does sound like watered down U2. Mm hmm. But so does half of the "quote unquote" rock music that is being made by other bands these days. Oh, as absolutely, well. absolutely. But- uh, and so, and so that will be fine. It's not like you two were are still innovators that no one sounds like. Do you know what I mean? Then at that right. point, watered down YouTube would be a, would really be a problem. Well, I, I guess what I'm saying is is that I mean, yeah, that's absolutely true. Uh, and and that kind of um, I, I guess what I'm saying is is that. Uh, um, I don't think that most traditional, like, chord structure, you know, verse, chorus, verse type stuff would necessarily work in musical theater as well. In other words, musical theater has its own vocabulary that takes mm-hmm. popular music, but but very much builds on it. You know, I mean, I'm but, but far that, from a musical is, theater is that, nerd. But is that still the case when you've got things like Mamma Mia and the, the Elvis one and the Queen one um, that are just, you know the greatest hits of band X with some people talking in between. Um, Isn't there now a different type of musical theater? Isn't the the musical theater that, that you and I are such fans of, um, (laughs) hasn't that, isn't there now a parallel musical theater, which is much more of a populist musical theater, which this will fit in some sense directly into, and also in some sense really not into because it's going to have all the ridiculous showmanship and, you know, crazy stunts and ridiculous outfits and, you know, animation in between right. and, and all of these things where it's not going to fit. But I think song-wise, it's really going to fit into that. And I think that when you look at Disney bringing in, you know, Elton John to write the music for The Lion King, for example, right. that's also where, where that stuff gets fed into. Yeah. That, that contemporary pop music becomes the language of the musical. And because more people have seen The Lion King as a movie... Mm-hmm. than go to Broadway anyway. I think that becomes the dominant thing. Yeah, no, I, I think you're probably right. I, I, I'm I'm willing to concede the point. I, I think that there is, like, Lion King aside, like, that's one where I would, I would, you know, I would, as always, be willing to split an infinite number of hairs with you, but I, I, think, I think I see your point. Um, and it makes as much sense... <laughs> as not so yeah i guess you're right i have i have the sneaking suspicion though that you're just not going to be able to get away with boiled over u2 stuff to you know sort of lloyd weber-esque uh spectacle i suppose but and the reason why what's that 
I was going to say, is there a massive difference between you two at their most melodramatic and Lloyd Webber? Uh, yeah, I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I don't have like a ton of experience with 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 Lloyd Webber, but I mean, the the look of it, yeah, absolutely is the same. But there's something about it that's extraordinarily different. Uh, but I could be wrong. I think they're definitely trying for more. Though the Lion King is is absolutely the the example to probably look at and and go to in this particular case. You know, like they want it because the Lion King is one of those things. Honestly, and, and also they've got the Tamar connection. Well, yeah, exactly. Which also makes it think that you know, of course, that that was what they were shooting for. I and I think you know, in a way, if Spider Man the musical had been was based on Spider-Man the movie maybe the same way the Lion King was then maybe they might have better work cut out for them than Spider-Man fighting Swiss Miss mm-hmm. I don't know hey, don't, don't forget the Greek chorus of singing comic book nerds who are going to help the plot along <laughs> oh I'm not joking my friend <laughs> that, that, that's real it is kind of amazing to see what Marvel have let them do in this. Well, but that, I, I feel like that's always... The, wasn't there always some sort of crazy, campy stuff with, like, uh, the, the Superman musical and the Dick Tracy musical and I don't know, Lil I, I Abner mean, and stuff? I, I don't know. I mean, Superman musical is just weird. I, it's actually on YouTube. Oh, is it? Cause, cause, well, there was a television version of it in the 70s. Oh. Uh, and that's on YouTube in its entirety. Wow. Uh, and it's it's just weird. It's um, it's no, but it's kind of like someone has maybe described a Superman comic to to the people who are making it, right? Um, but yeah, it's it's just it's it's odd, um, and very much a photocopy of a photocopy, and much more a musical than a Superman story. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I think this is actually going to try and be like we're capturing Spider Man, um. But it, it, no, I mean more in the sense of I'm really surprised that Marvel let them do it because Marvel is so protective of its intellectual property. And I think this is going to be, I think the closest sort of adaptation this is going to have is the Batman TV show. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, again, if this thing's been in the hopper for a while, I'm not sure, like, Marvel only... Sl- was pretty late to the taking care of its intellectual property game. And certainly, I mean, Lord knows if you or I wanted to like put out a, a series of like red Hulk condoms, I think all we need to do is make a, make a phone call, you know what yeah, I mean? Make, like, make a good enough offer. Yeah. Yeah. The, the product placement is, is kind of terrifying, but you know, the, in terms of protecting themselves, as far as the, the movie properties go or TV stuff, I mean, you know, I mean, even something is, is, you know, Awful as Mutant X was relatively recent, wasn't it? Mutant X was uh, this decade at least. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was post. It was post X Men movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, which is precisely how it ran. Maybe, afoul maybe, of yeah, things. maybe two thousand two or something like. That. Yeah, yeah, but it was it was only as time you know once between Spider Man and X Men, and they started thinking like, oh right, when these characters are you know we should try and keep a certain amount of control because we can't always count on getting fans of the material or people who are going to treat the material seriously you know I mean why, why would you say that kicked in because I mean thinking about it I think if the Marvel had been really protective of the properties the Daredevil and Electra movies probably wouldn't have happened uh yeah exactly I mean I, I 
Uh, it's a good question. I mean, it's the sort of thing that someone following the whole situation closely, I, because I think what happened was they looked at the results of the movies that were, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, in a, in a way, the Daredevil movie was made by a, a Daredevil fan. I don't think, a, I don't think, uh, is it Stephen Mark Johnson or Mark Stephen Johnson? I want to say it's Mark Steven Johnson, but I could be horrendously wrong. I know, exactly. At that point, it's like, the guy's got three first names. It could be like Johnson, Mark, Steve. I, I don't know. <clears throat> I, I think that he, you know, seemed to be a, a fan of the material and was trying to jam everything into two hours, um, which was part of the problem with the material. But it wasn't, you know, he wasn't necessarily, it wasn't like, oh, I'm going to give Daredevil a, a dog, you know, a CNI dog that also helps him fight crime or something like that. Oh God, you've just reminded me about the, the proposed Devil TV series. You've heard about this, right? No. So do you remember the, the uh, Hulk TV movies in the late eighties? Hulk the Slayer. No Hulk TV. Oh Hulk, Hulk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh right, like Trial of the Hulk with Rex yes. Smith as Daredevil, right? Right, and, and John Reese Davies as the Kingpin. And that was a, a backdoor pilot for a Daredevil TV show. Yeah. Uh, and the Thor one was the backdoor pilot for a Thor TV show. Yeah. Um, someone somewhere on the internet, I can't remember where now, has basically the pitch for the Daredevil TV show. Um, and it pretty much is, and we'll give him a seeing eye dog that can fight crime with him. No, really? Oh my god. It's, it's terrible. I'm going to see if I can find it while we're talking. Wow. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's really, it's one of those, okay, he's blind, he fights crime, Let's what what can we come up with for that? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, and having seen some of that stuff, I was really a, a. It was pretty. They they were not particularly discreet about their hey backdoor pilot um, ambitions uh, with those shows. But I, I kind of was. I feel like Marvel came very late to respecting their property their IP game, you know, it seemed like for years, you know, the only problem such as it was, you know, with getting something like Spider-Man made was just that the property had been, the rights ownership was such a convoluted mess by that point, you know? Uh, I can tell you that um, I'm getting my stories mixed up. The Lightning the Superdog was actually for a Daredevil animated show in the 1980s. Oh, thank God. I'm kind of relieved because I'm sort of like... (laughs) One more time, Lightning the Superdog. <laughs> Wait, Lightning the Superdog was actually the, supposed to be the name of Daredevil's dog? Yes. Wow. Lightning awesome. the Superdog. <laughs> anyway, Spider-Man <laughs> Turn Off the Spider-Man Dark. Spider-Man the music. Yes, Spider-Man Turn Off the Dark. It's, it's not going to be good. But at the same time, I wish I could see it because I kind of want to see how bad it can be. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Well, that's it. I kind of feel like every comic book nerd, you know, uh, of any stripe, I, I would totally want to see it, too. I don't think I'd necessarily want to see it at those prices. And, of course, I don't live in New York, so the idea. But when we were when we were in New York for October and I was looking at because there was ads, there were ads everywhere. I was like, man, God damn it. So <laughs> close. So close. Yeah, I just I. <laughs> I, I, you know, it's one of those weird things I think about, you know, uh, being a comic book fan for so long is you really are just kind of the, you really are willing to, 
you know, do horrible things to yourself. You know, kind of now because you have the leisure to. I, I sort of feel like back in the day, you know, with the with the exception of that first Superman movie, you know, in the seventies, like, you know, if you were a comic book purist, like having to watch the Hulk TV show, it was like, and I watched all the episodes of that Nicholas Hammond Spider Man show, which were just pretty terrible, you know. Um, like anything, any nerd culture that you could get your hands on, you just had to like cling to it with, you know, like in a death grip because it was only going to be around for so long. And I, I remember like, you know, Buck Rogers, the TV show was like destination TV for me. Cause I was like, this isn't going to last very long. It's not, it's never going to come back once it's actually gone. You know, there was just, <laughs> there was such a nihilism about the whole thing. It's like, yeah, this is only, you know, Battlestar Galactica. I remember reading the time magazine article. I'm like, yeah, I give this a season, you know? And I was like, <laughs> well done. <laughs> I was like 12, man. I was, I was just, I was jaded. You were right. <laughs> It was just Oh man, with the Super Scouts, how can we not think of it? At least Actually, we found Earth. You wouldn't have read it. I know you wouldn't, but um, Dynamite did a Galactica 1980 series recently that was really good. Really? Yeah, in, in all seriousness, it was much better than it had any right to be. Oh my god, who wrote that? Do you remember? Mark Guggenheim. Oh really? Bless mm. his heart. That's and amazing. He basically plays it straight, which is what makes it work. Yeah, like, exactly. The Galactica finds Earth, goes mm-hmm. to Earth, and whoever is the president, because I don't think they're, they're like it's a real president, basically is like, oh, holy shit, we're being invaded. I'm nuclear. I'm nuking them. <laughs> and so he nukes Galactica. Wow. That's... And, like, it goes horribly wrong, but it's, it's, a really good, it's a really good comic. That's kind of great. That's kind of great. How, I'm, how... I'm sure that's somewhere in the dollar bins. It's only four issues. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. In the dollar bins now. Well, uh, well done, sir. Well done. I, I but it, yeah, it's, it's it's really good. I would actually recommend it seriously. Wow. I will. I will uh, have to figure out a way to to like pick that up. I'm trying to think what I was talking I'm about. Sure, the I'm sure day. there's a trade. I'm sure there's a trade you can get somewhere. Well, yeah, because I think Dynamite probably trades their stuff pretty extensively. I think they do. I can't think of much that's not in trade. Yeah. Um, oh, hey, speaking of which, uh, so this is actually a pretty good segue. So Spider-Man, turn off the dark in the what were they thinking idea category. And now Lone Ranger, the movie, based on uh, the Dynamite I, I, stuff. I, I don't know, because the Dynamite stuff's really fucking good. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm not even being vaguely sarcastic. No, 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 no. I read Dynamite a few issues and I really liked it. good. Mm-hmm. Um, Dynamite stuff, however, is not a movie. It's a TV show. Mm. Because it needs the pacing and space that it has. What so makes the Dynamite stuff work is the silence between events. Mm-hmm. As much, if not more so, than the events themselves. Um and so I think as a movie I don't know, it could be it could make a good movie. It's 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 not that it's it's unfilmable. I, I don't know. How, I, we'll see how big Cowboys and Aliens is because I think that's going to define, def, define you know, uh, popcorn westerns for the next few years. Right. Um, I mean, Cowboys and Aliens has a terrible trailer. I didn't see the trailer. I, I didn't. It was linked Put it this in way. a couple of places. Well, if, I, if, I, if I say Cowboys and Aliens, okay, and I tell you the plot is it's Cowboys and they're fighting aliens. What do you think the tone would be of the trailer? 
don't know. You've got me stumped on that one. Um, I guess... I mean, I sort of always assumed that it, it it would almost be like the Independence Day trailer, except I don't know what they would blow up instead of the White House. You know, like, you're going to have oh. to... Yes? Or you could have a very <laughs> solemn trailer that starts with um, Daniel Craig pretty much, like, kidnapping... Not kidnapping. Uh, mugging two cowboys to get their clothes... Then he almost gets arrested, and then maybe halfway through the trailer, the aliens attack, but you don't really see them. Uh, and it's all played very dark and grim. Yeah. See, this Cabin's is it. Aliens, Cabin's Aliens, I want to see something fun. I want to see something that makes me go, oh, that's spectacle and or fun. I don't <laughs> see that, you know, someone has watched you know, The Unforgiven and thought <laughs> <laughs> which is what the trailer looks like. The trailer is like, I've seen Deadwood, I've seen The Unforgiven, what if I add Alien? That, uh, that kind of bumps it up in my list, because I, yeah, I sort of assumed that it would be something a little more like, uh... Dude, you want Wild Wild West versus Aliens is what you want, huh? Oh, dude, I totally watch Wild Wild West versus Aliens. Get Will Smith in there doing a little rap at the start. It'd be awesome. No, um, I see. I realized as soon as I said that, I'm like, oh god, he thinks that I mean the Will Smith thing. Uh, I, I, I I've, love never, that I've never seen the show. I don't know. <gasps> you never you, saw the TV show? No. You'd kind of dig it. You, you know, by the way, that's being remade, right? Uh, no. Ron really? Moore is remaking it for ABC, I think. Oh Jesus. Fox. Yeah, Ron Moore is remaking it for someone. I ah I don't I can't because again that sort of did he say he's going to try and stick to a lighter more fun tone? No. See, damn it! It's wrong. I know. That's what we're going to be lucky if he doesn't have some comment about virtual reality in there. (laughs) It would be kind of great to see somebody have like a steampunk virtual reality device where it's like. Did you put the helmet his, his, um, his failed pilot for Fox Virtuality? Yes, I enjoyed it tremendously. Have, have you seen Caprica? Uh, I saw the first episode of it, and I was a little meh about it. I, actually, maybe I made it two episodes, three episodes in, and then I quit watching I it. I honestly think Caprica is recycling all of the ideas from Virtuality. Mm. Hmm. Like, all of them. <laughs> Not even some. All of them. <laughs> I honestly think Caprica is what happens when he can't get his show on the air, and so he decides to dump all of the stories in a show that should not be supporting those ideas. Uh, now I forget. Caprica's done, right? Didn't it get cancelled? Caprica, yeah, it got cancelled, and they're uh, cancelled with five episodes left to run. And Sci-Fi is like, we're going to show them in January. It'll be fine. And then this week they're like, but we said we show them in January. We didn't tell you we're going to show them all in a winner on January fourth. <laughs> Five hours of Caprica starting six o'clock on January fourth. <laughs> At least they're it's not like one in the morning. No, but they're they're literally just burning them off. They're like, yeah. oh god, whenever no one's gonna watch January fourth, let's put Caprica on. <laughs> I you know, I have to say though, I really didn't like where they went in like three episodes. I was like, This is just a huge mistake. And I, I'm not oh, even I, really I, sure if it was the virtuality thing. What's that? I think Caprica is, is a lesson in how not to do a television show. Which is a shame, because I, I really think did think that that first... Yes? Hmm? No, I was done. 
Oh, were you? Okay, because I'm like, I'm still picking up sounds. I'm like, no, 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 I'm talking over him again, which I always do. Yeah, I think Caprica, I mean, did you end up watching all the episodes, or did you yeah. bail at some no, point? No, I, I, I saw them all. Wow. Well, so... I've not seen the ones that have not been on, obviously, but yeah, I've, I've seen all the, the broadcast ones. Jesus. Um, so is it is it bad to ask, like, what happens? Like... <laughs> <laughs> What happens? The writers show that they don't really have an idea about where they're going, and mm-hmm. uh, there's there's like a break point midway through the, the season mm-hmm. where they went off air for like six months, and quite clearly when they went off air, someone went, "You have to rework this show." They gave them like a big old ass load of notes, and then they came back, and it was. And, like- and it's I'm literally. There's like three episodes after they come back. It is the world's quickest. How quickly can we end these plots and get started on what we want to do, even if it makes no sense, ever? Mm-hmm. It's like, you know... Like, so first half is the genius character, Daniel. Mm-hmm. Um, Zoe uploads herself into the robot. Or Zoe gets uploaded into the robot. Yes. Uh, and the robot works. And then like she pretends she's not in the robot and the robot isn't working. And the genius, the, the scientific genius character, is like... I've replicated the chip and I've replicated the robot and none of them are working. Hmm. Why is this not doing what happened with that other computer that I uploaded the ghost of my daughter to? Right. Hmm. What's the difference? What what could it be? Huh? Hmm. What really what why is that not working? <laughs> for, for maybe like seven episodes and you're like, you're a fucking moron. Well, I kind of felt that like <laughs> You're quite clearly not a genius. Mm-hmm. You're an idiot. But um, but like so, so one of their like changes is by the restart of the season, mm-hmm. the robots are suddenly working, and it happens off camera, and they're like, "Yes, he got it to work." Wow! Really? And you're like, "Really? That's like you're not going to explain that?" <laughs> um, and like someone steals his company away from him, but within three episodes, he's got his company back, and. There's terrorists and like what the girl that's left alive, the schoolgirl that's left alive, joins the terrorist organization to get Zoe and the robot over to another country, uh, planet. Mm-hmm. But the robot gets destroyed, but that's okay because she's decided she wants to be a terrorist anyway, which again happens like in the gap. Um, the father of the lawyer father, the, the father of, of Adama from Battlestar Galactica, right? Um, who is you know is completely against. The fact that his brother is a thug and he wants to do everything right and he's you know all, all very morally upstanding, in this gap suddenly becomes a, a, like part of the mob himself. No, oh. um, like it's it's just all these things happen that don't make sense. Like the characters literally just flip because the writers wanted them to flip. Right. Um, and so it went from like a really slow, frustrating show to a really slow, frustrating show that didn't care about its characters or its audience. Yeah. Yeah, well, that really slow, frustrating show, I have to say, three three episodes in, they were doing some really bad, like, I remember feeling the characters were acting horribly inconsistently three episodes in, just kind of to keep a plot running. And the whole, the fact that, honestly, Caprica felt more like a prequel to My Mother the Car than it did to Battlestar Galactica, didn't it? I, I think Caprica would have been fine if it hadn't been connected to Battlestar Galactica. I think I think, I think yeah. saying this show has an endpoint and it's an endpoint you've already seen mm-hmm. is a really bad idea for anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I think connecting it to 
I think what Kafka wanted to be about was not what Battlestar Galactica was about, and therefore connecting the two made no sense. Well, yeah, I think I. I actually think that I think that's probably closer to it. I think by the time they sat down, like they were kind of like, "Yeah, we want to do this thing," uh, and then by the time they finally got it up and running, they were kind of interested in everything else. And it, again, for them, things kind of wrapped up. I think that there could have been a lot to be done with that idea of a, um, you know, a big sweeping kind of space opera thing with, you know, everything's being set up for, you know, the the creation of the Cylons. But clearly by the end of that first episode where it's like, wait, it's the AI of his killed daughter and that's the, like, it was just such a big mistake right off the bat. Like, already it seemed out of sync with where we think the Cylons are, you know, are sort of shown to be at the beginning of the Battlestar Galactica TV show. And and also the backstory that Battlestar Galactica gives to the creation of the Cylons. Because the last season pretty much lays out the creation of the Cylons. Yeah. So the idea of doing a show about that, Mm -hmm. when you know how it happens, and then the show does not relate to that at all. Yeah. It's just like, why? Why are you doing this? Yeah, exactly. And the answer is because... Oh, it's branding. The answer is... Sci-fi needed Battlestar Galactica to continue. Yeah. And then they killed Battlestar Galactica. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's a horrible black eye, and I think it... And I, I said this in spin-off, and lots of people vehemently disagreed with me, but I think it devalues Battlestar Galactica in retrospect. I think, I think Battlestar Galactica devalued Battlestar Galactica. I, I still feel that last episode, people went, eh, I'm, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not paying attention to this again. Like, there's which, a... I, which I think is another reason that, um, another way that Kafka would have been better off without being connected to Battlestar Galactica. Mm-hmm. I think the last episode had so much ill will mm-hmm. that I think going, I'm now we're a prequel. Right. The people just like, why? Why would I set myself up for that disappointment again? <laughs> oh, people were weirdly bitter about that last episode. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I wasn't I wasn't bitter about it, but I was definitely oh, but, but, like. But you know the people were. Oh yeah, sure, sure. And I, I think I think maybe Hibbs. Wait, was Hibbs or wasn't he? I don't remember. I know I know I know, I know the Meredith from my nine really was. Oh yeah, and, like we had fights after that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't think that it was a good ending. Actually, far from it. I think they did sort of maybe a third of the work, you know. But I I was. <laughs> you know, that they the claimed that they were going to do, but by the end of it, I'm like, okay, well, that's, you know, it is what it is. Uh, I, I think I said this to you at the time. The end of Battlestar Galactica worked for me on an emotional level, and then as soon as I thought about it, I was like, I wish I hadn't started thinking about it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, and I think that's it. I kind of feel that in order for Battlestar Galactica to not suck ridiculous amounts of ass in my memory, I have to never think about it again, which means I will never watch any of the sequel movies, I will never watch any of the prequels, I'll never watch anything related to it again, because once I do, I start thinking like, oh, right, that last and nothing made that sense. That last and season. Yeah, that last that season, season where they just kept moving the goalposts backwards and forwards and like, no, this is what it means, and no, and, well, if you think about it, the word plan... You know, when we say they have a plan. And so the planet is Earth. (laughs) But Earth isn't really Earth because there's another Earth to take you to because Earth is destroyed. But that's fake because that's Earth. 
But it's not Earth that we live on. That's another Earth that they'll discover and call Earth. So the plan <laughs> is to find Earth. <laughs> Graham McMillan, network explainator. <laughs> I tell you, I, sh- I should do this job. It's like I'm on Twitter today. Ali Townsend from Techland said, Gobble. And I said, you're a day early. And she was like, no, it, it's, I'm working up to it. It's part of my turkey slasher movie. <laughs> and so my response was, I could hear the timeline right now. This Thanksgiving, get the pluck out of there before it's too late. And she was like, you're hired. Totally. Totally. That is the best tagline ever. Actually, that and your Kirby Santa pitch. I think you've actually, you've been on, you've been on some serious fire lately, sir. Uh, you know, okay, so this is the funny thing. Um, I've said on Twitter a lot over the last few days, I want to write the Where Has 13 comic for Dynamite. Oh, and yeah. I, and I am entirely serious, and I don't know why, because I think I've talked before about why I don't want to write comics. As yes. soon as I saw the announcement that they were doing a Where Has 13 comic, I was like, oh, I've got to write that. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm honestly, like, I'm coming up with all these ideas that I'm putting on Twitter, like, you know, the, the Kirby something and all that, as ways of working in my brain how to write a Warehouse 13 comic and coming up with a plot. I have a plot. I know how it should look. And I keep on telling uh, Joe Rybrandt. I'm like, I will write your comic for you. And he's always like, yeah, very funny. <laughs> You're like, no. I'm like, I'm serious. And he's like, yeah, great one. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well. Well, you know, keep I, pl- know. Keep... I just find it funny. I should just, like, work it into something else, but... Yeah, the the Kirby thing and the the um the turkey thing and, and what else was I talking about yesterday on Twitter for a long time? Oh yeah, me and um uh Kirbyusic talking about his his Kirby comment for Dynamite. Oh, were, were you were you there for that? Uh, you know, I don't think <laughs> I, I followed. I, basi- I basically said that um I wanted to write if I was still doing the the um Bamboo Rampage columns for Onomatopoeia. Right. Uh, I would do one that would would be Jack Kirby on Facebook. Just made up of Jack Kirby's status updates on Facebook. Wow. Because I, for no reason whatsoever, I thought of that and I thought that would be the greatest thing ever. That's why um, James is doing Motherbox on Twitter. No, like I, th- that, that... I thought that was because of me, which is really weird because I did that whole thing completely separately. I, I don't know if you saw it, but I was talking about, like, how difficult would it be to set up a bot that, like, you know, whenever anyone mentions oh, yes, Kirby, yes, like, yes, comes yes, back with his yes, taglines. Oh, you're entirely right. That is where it came from. Um, <laughs> and maybe that's what prompted me saying the thing about Kirby on Facebook now that I'm thinking about it. Um, but, yeah, so I said that. And Kurt, for some reason, thought that I said I was going to set up a Jack Kirby Twitter. <laughs> and so we got into this conversation where I said that Jack Kirby wouldn't do Twitter. Because 140 characters could not contain his greatness. But also um, because he would be on Facebook talking about how the young people who are doing Twitter are the future. And Sean Collins had... No, it wasn't Sean Collins. It was Ken Lowry had the greatest joke, which is uh, Kirby couldn't do Twitter because half of every tweet would be made up of double dashes and exclamation points. (laughs) 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 Um, But no, so so, uh, Kurt and I are talking about Kirby on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And at some point, either he says or I say, no, I tell him that I'm waiting for him to do it to support his dynamite comics he's doing with Alex Ross, made mm-hmm. up of all the Kirbyverse characters. And he's like, oh no, you should do that. 
And I didn't know if he was serious or not. And then Joe Rybrandt tweets, oh, I'll make it an official thing if you want. Wow. And I'm like, okay. And I say yes on Twitter and no one believes me again. (laughs) Graham, it's pretty remarkable, the situations that you can get yourself into but not no wonder why you started talking about schrodinger's cat at the beginning of this because you really are you're apparently both writing the kirby account on twitter and not now apparently well i i'm i'm not because no one said yes <laughs> but like i i even said to Joe later that day like you know why don't you get back to me on this and he didn't wow. we're having a conversation about something else and he still doesn't get back to me about it it was very funny that's... So yeah, so it, it's really become like I'm saying to Jerry Brad, I will do this, and he's like, "Yeah, that's great," and then moves on. <laughs> oh man, what a drag! Well, I'm still thinking that you should do it anyway, and then that way, if they don't back you, then you can start trash talking the comic. <laughs> <laughs> I'm really looking forward to the music one. I I am. When is that scheduled? Is that on the he, schedule? He didn't say like I asked, and he was like, "You just want to know everything, don't you?" <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Uh, which uh, which I think is Kurt's way of saying I have no idea. Yeah, exactly. No, but uh, the, the reason I was talking to Kurt, and if you don't follow Kurt, you really should, because every now and again he says something like I'm about to tell you. Mm-hmm. He was telling me about his pitch in the 1990s for a Marvel Thanksgiving comic. What? Which included all of the Marvel heroes playing football, using New York as the pitch, while a low-level villain hides from them, thinking he's being chased by them while they play football, and ends with all of them having a Thanksgiving dinner. And I was like, I, I wish, I wish this existed. I wish this was a real thing. And yeah. he was like, I never did it as a verbal pitch to Brave Ward, but if he, he was like, if he'd said yes, I would have tried to get Bruce Timm to draw. Uh, which one I know, it just, just said like the greatest comic ever. Yeah, completely. Uh, that is... Oh. So yeah, that, that's that's why you should follow Garn on Twitter because he, he every now and again will just say something like that. Yeah. And you'll be like, what? <laughs> that's 